Here's Johnny. I'll be back. And you will know my name is the Lord. I'm walking here. I'm walking here. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Welcome everyone to Box Office Pulp, your one-stop podcast for movies, madness, and moxie. I'm your host, Cody. Joining me today is my co-host, Mike. Say hello, Mike. Do you think Ghostface um, ever, if he's like, gets caught in the rain while wearing the full costume, he gets really wet and then tangled up and he has a really hard time moving? It's it's really sad because you realize how small and skinny the person is underneath the costume and then they've got the big old mask on top. So it's more sad than scary. Oh, God. Yeah. Cause it's the like a cat. Really it's like a cat when fuckier. you give a cat a bath, you know, you realize like, oh, this thing is seven pounds. It's all floof. Oh, it reminds me of um, the animators. I think it was the animators on Clerks the series um, when it came to uh, drawing Silent Bob. They said <laughs> they like had on the character sheet like beneath the coat. He's nothing but a tube. Is this is this a long shot way of connecting us back to Scream Three? Oh, god damn it! Gotcha, I... bitch, folks. If you haven't figured it out, today we're here to talk about one of my favorite franchises. More specifically, though, not the entire franchise of Scream, but Scream Five is what I'm going to be calling it because the official title is just Scream, and I don't like it when legacy sequels just take the original movie and then use the same name but they're in the same chronology. It drives me nuts. So we're, we're calling this a Scream 5 gut review. They really should just be called Scream 5. Or Subtitles exist, Hollywood. You can use subtitles. I have a point about this. One, spoilers. Uh, if folks haven't seen Scream 5, please leave. We are going to be spoiling everything. Everything is fair game in this podcast. Yeah. So if you haven't seen it yet and you intend to watch it or you care about spoilers... Please go. This is like the one movie franchise where I get up in arms about any sort of spoiler. So this is me being kind and gracious. Please go. And it's impossible to talk about a Scream movie without hardcore spoilers. And Scream is like the spoiler franchise. It's about spoilers. Yeah. So, yeah. You, so you just get the get, fuck, get out. The fuck go. out. Yeah, leave. Get leave. Out. Go away. But we don't need you anymore, old yeller. Or you didn't see Scream. We don't want to be your friends. I, I said old yeller. I should have said Shane. Wasn't it Shane, the one where like he yells at the kid to get out of time? Oh, whatever. Uh, anyways, to go Either back or. to the idea of Scream as the title. Thematically, this is like the one time where it makes perfect sense that it's still Scream because they're doing a commentary it, on the fact that it's a reboot sequel. A requel, as they use. A term I don't like, but will probably live forever now that it's been popularized in a very famous movie. Yeah, yeah. We're just going to have to deal with it. Yeah. Um, at, at least it's... A requel. It doesn't flow off the tongue well. It sounds wrong, right? It sounds like some kind of venereal disease, but it um it at burns. least a short way of saying it. Gets it gets the point yeah. across. It yeah. works. I understand what they're going for. It's not completely inappropriate. It just, to me, it sounds dumb. Just call it a fucking legacy sequel. That's what I've always said, and I've liked that one. That's been my baby term. And Yeah, I, I, I prefer that. But um, And I do agree in regards to the title. My problem is it only ma- it does make all the sense in the world and it's perfect, but only after you see the movie. That is true. Like you actually have to experience the film before. You're like, oh, that's why they didn't fucking put a number there. Uh, and at the end of the day, when you have your box set on your fucking shelf, it's gonna go scream, scream two, scream three, scream four, scream. 
More personal you, question. Mike, how do you organize the Candyman films in your collection? Oof. See, this is why I just, I, I, I'm chaotic. I just do alphabetical <laughs> order. So, <laughs> Oh, so you've got Candyman, Candyman, uh, Candyman, Day of the Dead, Candyman, Farewell to the Flesh. That's awful. I hate it. <laughs> Uh, it's not good. I if I saw, if I went to your house and I saw that, I would just start flipping things in your house. Your mother, your couch, your cat. I don't care. I'd be like, no, <laughs> it's wrong. The cat would land back on his feet, so it's fine. Oh, that's good. That's good. Uh, I will say, occasionally, if it is a franchise where all line where it's going to be all fucked up, I will skew the rules. So, like the Fast and the Furious movies, fuck you. They're all numbered in my mind. I don't. I only own the first one. Oh, okay. Well. Uh, the Final Destinations? I don't own any of them. Wow, that one's more surprising to me. I'm not a, I mean, you know, I'm not a huge Final Destination fan. I they're they're fun, but I'm not like ooh Final Destination. Uh, there's something about, and I promise we'll get back to Scream in a second, folks. <laughs> there's something about Final Destination Two that to me just makes it like the ultimate movie. I wouldn't okay, say I no. Final Destination Two is particularly well made or thematically rich or anything, but there's something about that where it's a pure experience. You put on Final Destination 2 with five people, and they're all going to be acting as if they're on a fucking wooden roller coaster on Coney Island. Like, everyone is just enthralled oh, yeah. by the set pieces of that film. The the step ladder, not the step ladder, the fire escape ladder going through the guy's eye, mm-hmm, the, mm-hmm, the glass mm-hmm. plate crushing that one kid, the opening with the logs. Fucking Final Destination 2 is a trip. Like, that is the purest form of movie entertainment I think you can possibly make. Oh, they're group watch movies. They're total, like, carnival movies. For like, sure. that's what they are. Especially like, in 3 when they go to a carnival. Fun. Yeah. See, they're, they're, they, they, they know. They know. They're on They it. know. But Scream. Let's go back to Scream. Scream. Uh, I, have, I have one confession I need to make to out myself as a dipshit. I thought somehow, I don't know why I got this in my head. That Adam Brody and Jack Quaid were related, like brothers or something. I just, I just thought they were the same family bloodline or something. They looked too similar to me to not be related. And it was only by going on the internet recently I realized these are very different men who are about twenty years different in age. Okay, I didn't know they were that different in age, but it's not I that did. far. Jack, Adam Brody is like forty-two, and Quaid is like twenty-nine. That's okay, but really. God, where's time go? Um, uh, Scream 4 came out lo- like 10 years ago, man. It fucking no, freaks me no, out. No, no, no. We're talking about Scream 2022 anyways. Twenty year- I am 20 years old. I don't know what anybody's fucking talking <laughs> time about. Time stopped when I matured. That's anyways, it. that's... It was one of the, I thought it was like an in-joke. I thought it was like, oh, okay, well, the Radio Silent guys work with, like, Adam Brody and Jack Quaid, their family. They look the same. One was in four, one's in five. Oh, it's a neat meta touch. No, I'm just an idiot. They're not related in the slightest. They do look exactly the same. I they look kind of like 100% slightly you. stepped clones, right? Like one got out of the vat a little earlier. It's long, Okay, fuck it. Let's just go to the ending. As long as we're talking Quaid's and Brody's. <laughs> No structure to this episode at all. No, fuck you. We're going to the end of the show. The ending. The ending is the most important part to me in a Scream movie, right? Everyone is there for the reveals. It's the mystery that's exciting. And in this one, we really, in my mind, the whole movie is kind of a retread of four. Not in a negative way. I should say I really love Scream 5. I can't wait to own it on Blu-ray and rewatch it. I think there's a lot going on with this movie. It's very good. I have a lot of nitpicks, and I want to stress that they are nitpicks. There are things me being bitchy about because this is my favorite franchise, so I look at everything under a microscope. 
this is a great movie. I think everyone should see it in theaters. They should bring their friends, have it as a, a movie party watch night. You're going to have a good time. Even if you're not fluent in Scream 1, I think you'll still have a lot of enjoyment in it. It's going to be better if you know the Scream franchise, but I think this could operate as a new start. Yeah, I think so. All that said, the ending is one of my, like, I have some issues kind of point, because we get to the end and it's revealed there are two killers, but they do it in a, in a fun way where it's stretched out, where we see the first killer literally pulls out a gun and shoots one of the other survivors in the head at a party, which is essentially what Billy does to Randy in, in Scream 1. Only we immediately find out Stu is the other killer. He walks in with a voice changer as Neve is trying to like cling to him for comfort. So her whole world is destroyed at one time. In this movie, we have a gap, right? So Big it's gap. we have our first killer. She's she's the I don't know why I'm trying to be vague. Like we didn't announce there were gonna be a thousand spoilers. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Amber Freeman, like she reveals herself, I'm the killer, and she blows away one of the other actresses. I can't remember her name. I'm I'm shitty at podcasting. She's uh, like in four scenes. So it's she she is like supposed to be the red herring that no one actually believes is a red herring because it'd be such a bad choice. Uh, you pick you peg it's I mean I'm sorry you peg Amber as one of the killers super early on super super early and that's fine Scream is one of those things where it's like is it too obvious to be obvious and you kind of you, you work through it that way it's the second killer I think is the fun one because that's the one where you're like yeah. oh that's the surprise guy you got me and in this case it's Jack Quaid uh so his character Richie is hiding in a room he gets shot by <laughs> Sydney that was great that really Wonderful. throws you Fucking off Sydney too. just shooting every door like motherfucker on the other side better watch out <laughs> like uh, finally she's like done enough of these where it's like nope not taking a chance don't care if it's someone innocent on the other side of the door bang 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 <laughs> and she pegs him it's fantastic it really is very funny uh and jack quaid at this point is still like playing innocent and it's it's only later on when they capture ghostface that he reveals himself as the other killer and it's supposed to kind of be like a treat or a trick depending on how you look at it, that there's still two killers. Because they make it feel like maybe there's a third, because they we already know uh, uh, Amber is the, the first killer. You, and then there's yeah, a person I in a mask, really so you think, oh, there could be a second. And then Jack Quaid reveals himself as a killer. So you think, there could be three, which would be mind-breaking. That's a new thing for Scream. Then it turns out it's just Amber somehow, for some reason, went back into costume, even though everyone knows she's the killer. Uh, and then Richie makes his move. I keep saying Jack Quaid and then Richie. I'm going to have to settle on one of these. Um, it's fun to say Jack Quaid. It's fun to say Jack. You're right. So we have Richie and Amber as the two killers. I'm torn. I think Richie makes perfect sense. That's a really great killer because you have the connection to our new lead, right? Like he's he's got a little bit of personal business with uh, Tara and, oh God, I was going to say Sarah. Is it Sarah? Have I forgotten? Sam. I'm an idiot. Sam and Tara. <laughs> They're all white people names. It's really hard to keep track. I the names are a separate issue. I'm I'm very annoyed that there's carpenters and there's Wesses and stuff. It's like uh We we all appreciate having the reference to other horror franchises and horror iconography, but fuck at this point we don't need anything explicitly called carpenters anymore, right? No. I, I didn't mind it in this so much, both because it's even though Scream's already done it, and the West thing, of course, was done for a very specific reason. But after this, we can lay off for a very long time. Or if My... you're at least going to do it, do different ones. Like, throw a Barker in there. Do, you know, just... Anybody. Give me a Ramey. Give me a Ramey. Yeah. Give me Hooper a Ramey, yes. Give me a Ramey. Uh, 
Anyways, I mean, we're doing it for modern day horror too, right? So, like, I can just pick some modern day horror people that are famous. That, that's fine. Yeah. Get a peel in there. That'd be fun. That'd be cool. That would, that would be a lot better, I think. Anyways, the thing that bothers me about that is because in the original Scream, someone makes a comment, oh, it's like a Wes Carpenter flick. And now that we have characters with the first name Wes and characters with the last name Carpenter, it feels a little too on the nose. A little bit, yeah. It's a very common it's, name in that universe. Yeah, I, I know. This is That's such a nitpick, but it bothers me. And especially, these are going to be our main characters moving forward, we have to assume, right? It's going to be Sam and Tara Carpenter moving forward. Yeah. And now we're just stuck with fucking Carpenters. Like, God damn it. We get it. The original movie really likes fucking Halloween. Okay. Sorry. Going with Carpenter as like a main character moving forward is, is kind of weird. I, I would just prefer if they just, even though it's a good name, but I would prefer, <laughs> you know. John Carpenter's writing you a nasty note right now. Like, how dare you? It makes the West thing, not that it makes it less special, but that was, that's a kind of a different thing as to why that character was named Wes. That's that's if, supposed to be an ode. I would say yeah, though, if you're okay. going to do that, I don't want to. I don't want other characters having directors' names because it kind of sullies right. the West thing a it's, little bit. <laughs> this is a little weird to me. I don't know. Was it weird to you that they're like, okay, Dylan Minnette, you're going to be Wes Hicks in honor of Wes Craven, the originator of the franchise? Well, it's technically Williamson, but whatever, the director of the franchise. We're also going to kill you and your mom. <laughs> is it a little weird to like name someone after the director and then murder them halfway through the film? It's a little odd, but and when you stop and think, like, but it's an ode of Wes Craven, it makes sense. Yeah, it, like, it doesn't stop me in my tracks too much, but it's like, is this in poor taste? I don't know. <laughs> Moving on. I don't think it's in poor taste because Craven would be into it. <laughs> the filmmakers clearly love Wes Craven. I mean, in the movie ends, the first credit is for Wes. They love the guy. It's, it's, it's no surprise. So it's not like they're doing them dirty. It's just, it feels very weird to me as an audience member who is being told, hey, be hyper aware of everything on a metal level. It's a screen movie. And we murder Wes. <clears throat> and then we murder Wes. We'll get back to that. Uh, I want to go back to what we're talking about, the ending killers, because that's the exciting part to me. Yeah. Richie, I think, like I said, he makes a great killer, a good surprise. But for the accomplice, this is where things get a little hairy for me, because Amber seems obvious enough where it's like, oh, no, duh, it's Amber. Like, there's not much of a surprise at any point there. She just gives off the vibes like, I'm definitely going to be the number two killer. Yeah, I mean, there's certain things that are said. The fact that they, it's not really, Scream 5 is not really an ensemble picture so much. So all of the side characters being, like, pushed to the back a little bit make makes makes things like Amber stand out more as obvious. You know, right. it's, it, not, in, in very opposite way of, like, you didn't really peg Stu as one of the killers because he just seemed like the goofy friend, but he was still like balanced in there enough. Ember has too much to do, but isn't in the movie enough. So yeah, that's the easy way to get suspicion off your characters. Just don't have them in every scene. And in this one too, this is, this is my main problem. Like the one sticking point, And maybe this is just fanboy bullshit, but Amber is the one to kill Dewey. Which weirds me out because it's one of those things where as you're watching it, you have to pay attention to height differences because I'm guessing she's not the same height as Dewey. That's that's one of those things I get frustrated on where it's like where you have Emma Roberts play one of the killers like, you're a very short woman. Like, <laughs> logistically, I don't think you quite match up to the height of the killer in all the scenes because they never have the suspected characters actually play Ghostface, right? Maybe for like one scene. Yeah, barely. I mean, God, I, I adore Scream 4. But I don't believe either of those characters would have killed anyone. <laughs> they, pulled, they picked tiny looking children. Uh, it's just how it is. 
So it, there's a lot of suspension of disbelief that goes there. Whereas you almost have that problem in stream one too, because Stu is fucking gigantic. Stu is a very tall person compared to everybody else. And Billy is roughly the same size as everyone else. A little taller. Although that one's a little funny. So the, the story goes, uh, the only time that Skeet Ulrich wore the killer costume was in the Mocker House attack at the end. He's the one who comes up behind Randy with a knife and then doesn't actually make the move to stab Randy. That's that's the one time hmm. in Scream 1, one of the killers actually wore the costume. Otherwise, it's one of the stuntmen. In this movie, it's actually very similar. Uh, so when we have you know the bloodbath at the final scene at Stu's house, once again, as Mindy's on the couch... It's, I believe, Jack Quaid comes up in the Scream costume to stab her. So we, we kind of get a little bit of a repetition there. But that was like the one time he's in costume, just for like one brief moment. I'll say, I, I think the one big thing I like about the Richie reveal, too, is in a... I, I feel like this is like the one Scream sequel does a really good job of being meta towards the characters learning the rules of a horror movie. Mm-hmm. So pegging Richie immediately on Dewey's part. <laughs> And it's then nice doing that, that Dewey... long, reve- then doing that long, drawn out, not reveal after Amber. To me, that's just like that's brilliant. That was that was nice. I I do appreciate that, even though they killed off Dewey in this movie, which is a little bit of a bummer because Dewey's supposed to be the bulletproof one of them all. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we we kill off Dewey, but he gets to be right. Like first crack, he's like, okay, I think it's the fucking boyfriend. <laughs> And then he says some unrelated stuff where at the time we're like, well, that's stupid. Dewey's like, it's the boyfriend. Also, it could be one of your friends. It's probably her. And it just just kind of makes you feel like, Dewey, it has to be one or the other. You can't just say, like, both groups are the killer. But no, in retrospect, oh, he's completely right. It was it was Amber and it was fucking Richie. He, he nailed it. I like they give that little bit of credence to the character. There's that respect level to it. Which is probably why most legacy fans of Scream aren't freaking out that they killed one of the trio. Yeah. You know, we went through four movies with the what we thought unassailable trio of Sidney Prescott, Dewey, and Gale. We thought those three just couldn't die, which is boring filmmaking when you have all three in there and they can't get hurt. This movie throws us off by killing off Dewey, which sucks, but as a Scream fan, you've seen it happen with Randy. It's like, this should happen more often, honestly. Like, you kind of have to have your heart broken by these movies for them to be effective. Yeah, you knew it was going to happen eventually. As soon as he gets to the hospital, I'm like, oh, it's over. I didn't see anything else from Dewey in the trailers. Yeah, yeah. But it also, it just comes down to when it's, to how it's done appropriately. And this was very appropriate. And appropriate for Dewey, too, not just in, you know, your appropriate way for a legacy character to go out, but specifically for Dewey. Like, just giving him this little bit of an arc. And... Kind of it's nice he goes back, it. he gets to be the hero, he remembers, oh, it's the head, because after that whole fucking joke of two and three, where it's like, oh, right, if it's not a headshot, it doesn't count. Yeah. That, that's nice. I like that. It's kind of funny, too, that he goes out a little bit as a doof, because he gets distracted by his phone going off, that one thing you shouldn't care about when he's about to fucking ice a killer. Well, it's very Dewey, though. That's that's why you wouldn't complain. It's like, yeah, it kind of makes sense. Dewey yeah. is not the it's brightest Dewey. crayon in the box. And I just like him having this Robert Mitchum and El Dorado kind of fucking storyline. But it also plays a little bit with because because Dewey was supposed to die in the original film. Yeah, he's been living on borrowed time, baby. He's been living on borrowed time, but he's also a character doesn't really fit into a traditional trope the way everybody else does. So him being kind of like this outlier who's managed to continually survive and has like a specific set of knowledge and almost his own rule base as a character in a slasher film 
is really has been really interesting and is kind of used to a greater effect here with him coming in to like be the expert. Like he's not coming in to be the survivor girl in the way that, you know, Sydney is <laughs> or even Gail. Like, he gets assigned the Randy role very yeah. early in the movie, and it's like, that, ooh, ooh, bold choice. I would not have done that, <laughs> which is great. It's, it's unexpected, but it makes sense because he has the experience. He's a police officer. Like, he should have some fucking experience in these investigations. So it's, it's fun. It's a clever twist because, again, I never would have written Dewey that way. And I also like the added little bit of business of him going, like, yeah, with the breakup between me and Gail was my fault. It's it's nice. There's a self-loathing there. It's a bit of a bummer because Dewey, even in four where he's like on the verge of divorce with Gail, is incredibly optimistic. Like there's a moment where yeah. he's talking to to Sydney and he says something like, hey, when things are at their worst, sometimes they get better. <laughs> it, there's no reason why he would say that other than he's just so optimistic. He just believes, hey, man, things suck, but hey, hey, hey this is probably rock bottom. Things got to get better. So it's 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 very sad in this movie that we see a Dewey that has dropped that level of optimism that he's had in all the other films like he's finally been broken enough where he's just not feeling it on the other hand i don't think that's a bad thing the worst thing you can do with a legacy character is leave them in hyperstasis for like 20 years in between movies you know what if you come back to a star wars film and luke skywalker is exactly as you left him at return of the jedi isn't that you're on twitter that's your answer yeah it's it's kind of like fucked up i would say i'm a different person from 10 years ago is that better or worse i don't know but if, if you just leave a character exactly the same, like they stopped evolving after their last adventure we saw, that's kind of terrifying and sad to me. That, that's one of the like hooks of fucking Star Wars Episode uh, 7, right? Han Solo is exactly the guy he was when we left him. Apparently, he's kind of reverted to like Episode 4 form. And it, it just it makes sense that character has to die because he's just not living anymore. I don't, I don't like it when they bring in legacy characters and they're like, hey, you loved them the way they were. Here they are 20 years later. And it's just an old guy in a costume they don't fit anymore just pretending to be them as a kid. This version of Dewey has grown and changed, not necessarily in good ways, but he's a different character. And I love that they let him evolve. And that's, that's awful for the character. Great for the audience. I think that's the way you get people to give a shit about a legacy character. You've got to let these characters grow. Yeah, I, I don't want to see them frozen in amber until they're brought back for a legacy sequel i i want to see them i want to see that the world kept going past the last time you saw them they actually (laughs) lived lives because that's the fun of star wars right because there's a whole expanded universe like you just mentioned oh that's why he's that way he had fucking 20 years of misadventures i didn't know about same with scream like he maybe didn't fight more Ghostface, but he had other shit in his life and i like that too because they have all the other characters doing stuff like in between four and five that 10-year gap uh, Sydney apparently went back and married the police officer from three, and then they had two kids. So, like, oh, that's a whole life. She could have done better. Oh, man. I don't know. Patrick Dempsey? He's a dreamboat. I do like Lover Boy. But, um, yeah, and I like even with Gail and Sydney, because their, their importance isn't as grand as, a, you know, Scream 4 was, this does not feel like their life, which, you know, obviously Dewey dying brought a lot of extra is is what brought stakes to it and Mm -hmm. i really enjoyed that because it's not hey there's a new ghost face killer so sydney gale come forth and rejoin (laughs) the plots you know right you're safely living in like another state fly in here and possibly get murdered yeah and i and i appreciate the fact that this isn't their life like they don't don't just fight slasher killers all all the goddamn time especially for sydney and 
That's why I know everyone was like, oh, I, I bet you think Sydney's going to die? You think Sydney's going to die? I would say the biggest mistake the Scream series can make is killing Sydney because no matter how you do it, it will be for shock value. It won't be good. No. The whole fun of Scream is seeing essentially a survivor of abuse or uh, just, just terrible circumstance overcome things and live a normal life. Like, Sydney's been through the ringer more than any other person could ever expect. And I enjoy that Scream 5 is like, yeah, no, and she has kids, she has a family, pretty happy life. Everything worked out. She's good. She she would not Which have shown great. up if Dewey didn't die. Right. And it, to, to make a Scream movie where she gets killed off, just kind of goes back and all that, and be like, ah, you know, whatever, fuck her. It's like, ah. I mean, fuck. It's, um, it's I, a little boring to have a character that's immortal compared to the other ones, but boy, it would be wrong in my mind to ever kill that character off. I would much rather her just not show up to a Scream movie than to kill Sydney off for any of them there's no story with her with her dying there's a story with dewey dying there's no story with with sydney dying you, you maybe arguably could have done it early in the franchise like one obviously is one let's not argue that but two the original plan two Kevin would have Williamson been the had had this idea where cotton might have been the killer and sydney and him and the movie by stabbing each other to death essentially in the stage play that she's been working on it's it's almost a cliffhanger though because they like end the movie on a blackout screen as she's being stabbed or like succumbing to her wound. So it's like they could still save her for a three if they wanted to. That that would have been the time. That's the only time it would have been like, yeah, maybe sure. Cause they're trying to do a bigger sequel. How do you do a bigger sequel? You kill off the unimpeachable heroine of the first film. Yeah. That, that was the only time after that. It's like, Nope, she's fucking horror royalty. I would be very upset if they kill her character off. I would off actually Gale, you can kill off yeah. pretty much anyone else, but not her. I would like to see it going forward if there's another screen movie, which let's face it, there is. This makes all the money in the world. This one did um, great. It's it's uh, <laughs> what within ten days it bypassed the entire budget, or I'm sorry, the entire box office of Scream Four. Fucking mind blowing. I'm the pandemic say, against Spider Man. Halloween, the Halloween reboots. Woo, we're doing numbers now. I love this. We can have slashers again. This is cool. Yeah, more, more original slashers now, but um. I would like Sydney not to return. I'd be okay with that too. I think okay. So in my mind, the the way to do a Scream Six, just spitballing one, you fucking slam immediately into Scream Six, like seconds after Sydney is driving out of town at the end of the Scream Five credits. Like you have a new ghost face appear out of nowhere and attack like the fucking ambulance taking uh, Tara back to the hospital, and then you just do it at a mad pa pace sprint. And you're doing the entire movie basically set over like a night and a half or something where Sydney's already left town, isn't answering her phone because no one thinks to call her back up because she's driving away. You can still have Gail at that point because she's injured and you just use that as a legacy character and you move on. You have the new characters, her friends that are coming to visit her in the hospital, whatever the surviving members of this movie all have to deal with another threat immediately in the aftermath of the first movie. Kind of the Halloween 2 idea yeah. if that movie wasn't eh. No empty hospitals. We already got an empty hospital here. People complain about that. Like, I saw a review making fun of the fact that, like, apparently no one's in this hospital. It's like, in the dialogue, they clearly state they moved her to an abandoned, like, not abandoned, but an empty floor Yeah, for her safety. They at least yeah. covered their ass. I mean, I don't really That's care that. That's it. I don't think it's great screen. It's just like, <laughs> it, as long as you they cover your ass, I don't care. Right, yeah, they put in terms. Like, they they like, hey, fucking shut up. Okay, we, we, we thought about this, too. It, it's like, you know, why is the cell phone not work? Oh, there's no signal. That's all I want. I don't care <laughs> yeah. if it makes no sense. I just, it's a little cheap, but it's like, okay, at least they mentioned it. Yeah, I just want to know they're aware. That's it. Yeah. I don't care beyond that. 
it's a fake movie. <laughs> <laughs> so I saw that complaint. I'm just like, I am immediately annoyed at this review. And of course I was reading it and everyone he mentions like this, this reviewer was talking shit about any horror film. Like he mentions really enjoying last night in Soho before it turns into a horror movie at the end. It's like, well, fuck you. What do you want? Was it a guardian review? It should have been the way it read. Fuck. This is like local newspaper shit. Ah, Ugh. man. We've been talking for about 30 minutes so far, and I feel like we haven't even scratched the surface. There's Jesus, no. <laughs> a lot to enjoy in this movie. I'm, I'm going <laughs> to pull back a little bit. We can, we can go some more generic details. Um, so I, I more or less enjoyed the way the killers are revealed at the end. I really enjoy the kills. They're very graphic. Ghostface's whole thing is he's very dedicated to stabbing with a knife, right? There, he doesn't ever pull out like a machine gun. He doesn't have a weed whacker. The most you get out of him is maybe he kills you with a garage door, right? I like I like how they still made the kills in this one seem varied and intense enough where you weren't distracted by the fact that he is very dedicated to the idea of being solely a slasher. Like Kyle Gunler, when he kills him just by stabbing him quick in the throat and letting Ooh, him bleed that. out. Love that's it. great. That was that was unexpected because normally Ghostface fucking toys with a person. And this guy, he just mops the floor with as quick as possible. You, you get like the car startup thing and, you know, the red right hand playing, which wonderful touch. But he doesn't go out of his way to attack and torture this guy for like 20 minutes or tease him with like, what's your favorite scare? He just stabs him right in the throat. Like he appears behind him. And, that was a yeah. fun, weird, exciting twist. There's no great that, meaning behind that. This they needed an extra body. <laughs> that was it. They're like, oh, he's related to the original killings, whatever. By blood, you know, he's like Stu's cousin or something, nephew. I don't know. I think cousin. <laughs> Shows how much attention I was paying. It's a very, it's a pointless character. But we don't need to even get into that. Ah, we'll pass it. Then you have the other parts where, like, he's killing Wes, and you know, he already kills his mom by toying with her in traditional ghost face manner, and we have all the fake outs. Where, you know, a closet closes and he's not there. The refrigerator door closes and Ghostface isn't there. All those jumps, there's so much <laughs> tension built into those. I'm a little disappointed that in the end, Ghostface just appears behind the character. Because it was fun playing that cat and mouse game of, is he going to jump out from behind that door? No. That one? No. That one? Also, no. He's <laughs> he's not going to do the cheap horror movie cliche of just being hidden behind a door where the character's peripheral vision should expose him. Now, see, that's why I absolutely loved that. Just And then he's just behind him the entire time. <laughs> like I, I love it that feels so anticlimactic i like i get it thematically it makes a certain amount of sense but it's like oh he, he's just there i don't need to be scared anymore because he'll just be behind the character and one thing i really liked about the the knife kills is they got like radio silence got the infallibility of Ghostface because they while they did you know they they shot Ghostface like he is monumental plenty of times <laughs> radio silence can just direct a paper bag in the in the most glorious way but you know Ghostface is still falling over a little bit he's still a little bit you know he's still not that competent because these are still just fucking dumbasses and also everyone is able to hold back the knife like killing someone with a knife is not that fucking easy right that's that's one of the problems I had with Dewey fucking biting it in the hospital because like there's a five foot six girl six is very generous I actually don't know her height it it just seems like if someone was trying to Someone were to stab you with two knives and gut you. Essentially, it feels like, boy, they got to have some like bodybuilding experience going on. Like, I need someone who Dude, looks a little more I've jacked. I've dated goth girls. Let me tell you, that is very <laughs> realistic. I'll chalk that up to a lack of life experience on my part. Then, 
<laughs> but that's one of the best parts about Ghostface, right? He is so fucking human and clumsy. Do you compare him even to Michael Myers in Halloween Kills? Minor spoilers. When Michael is at his most vulnerable, like he's had his mask removed, he said spent a whole night just getting like beaten and stabbed and stuff and having his fingers blown off, and an entire mob beats him up, he still doesn't look like a pathetic old man. Like he gets back up and then murders everyone. The shape is monumental. He's, he's just a fucking living robot statue. You can't beat Michael Myers. Ghostface, in like the opening scene when he has all the power, still gets fucking knocked on his ass. He falls down and like fucking clocks his throat on a granite countertop. Ghostface looks like he's about to die in every scene that he shows up. It's it's wonderful, and that's the way it should be. Someone should always be dunking on Ghostface with a flower vase before he somehow gets the upper hand and stabs you. Because in a knife fight, the guy with the knife is probably going to win. Just, it's it's not fair. And that's why I really like the added little bit. I mean, obviously it plays into like what the characters are that Amber puts the costume back on, but because she's kind of like, she's into it. She's kind of cosplaying. It, it's just part of the role. Like, and I really like Mike, that. Mike, it makes it sound like she's getting off in the middle of this, which she might be, I guess. Did you watch the performance? <laughs> it totally is. Um, but also, it just adds this extra goofiness to Ghostface. Like, when she's wearing the costume, like, puts it back on to, like, play Ghostface at the at the end, just kind of cosplaying. I, and I, I love the breakdown of Ghostface as this figure in, like, slasher movies. I love uh, the one-upsmanship of the ending, too, because <laughs> Scream has always been fairly violent, right? But in this one, it's not just someone getting blasted three times with a gun that kills them. Fucking, oh, man. Richie gets stabbed about 40 times at the end before going, what about my ending? And then getting slashed in the throat. Uh, it's, it's fucking way over the top. And I kind of appreciate, like, if your whole meta point is this has to be the original but bigger, that's definitely it. You, you've made it. And Amber, she doesn't get a TV thrown on her head and just, that's the end. She gets shot multiple times. She gets thrown onto a, an oven. She's lit on fire before she shot several more times. <laughs> the oven fucking thing just destroyed me. I love that so much. Turns into like that, that grilled cheese sandwich you tried to make when you forgot to grease the skillet and everything got too burnt. It's just, oh, man. So, so, so big. It's such a giant swing. I, that, that's the stuff I love. Yeah. And that that doesn't even be a little bit ridiculous here and there. Yeah. Well, and you get that too in the the allusions to Scream Eight, which we see there is a ghost face who wears like cut off black shirts to show off his muscles, and has a flamethrower and a chrome mask. Dude, bro, ghost face. Dude, bro. Dude, bro. Dude, bro, ghost face. Apparently, the thing that was so so heinous that it set off these two killers, and they had to redeem. The worth of the Scream and Stab franchise. Because Stab love that because was woke. St- <laughs> Stab, uh, I'm trying to think from Scream 4, because they mentioned Stab 6 and 7, I believe, in that one. Are admittedly not great. The characters say they're not great. They say 5 has time travel, if I'm remembering right. I believe so, so yeah. So it's like basically the first three are based on a real thing. You know, they're a trilogy everyone thinks of them as. But the in-movie characters recognize that four five six and seven are trash and everyone thinks eight is even worse so these characters representing the worst fanboys that you can imagine are murdering tons of people because someone went that extra step and just said what if we reboot this horrible franchise that sucks i love that little touch it's it's such a perfect toxic fan commentary which is something i didn't even expect scream to like go into 
Because my entire thing with the new screen was just wondering what the fuck allegory are they going with this time? Because there's a lot of different places. Obviously, the requel thing was, but that's surface level. Yeah. You know, that's like Scream 3 going like, it's a trilogy ender, and that's literally all they had going for it. <laughs> We're on part three, just it's a trilogy. Yeah. But what's like, what's this, what is, what is the actual satire going on? Because fucking Radio Silence knows that it's can't just be, it's a slasher movie. They're smart. So what, what, what are they going to say? So that reveal fucking just that sold the movie. Like I was already loving the movie, but that sold it completely as like, this is now one of my favorite screen movies because it's such an unexpected place to go. And it's such a great, unexpected allegory because no one really wants to talk about the toxic fan base that much in such a a part way. No one thinks they're a toxic fan. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the Snyder bros all think, Hey, we're defending a director who had a hard time who just wanted to present his vision. Meanwhile, everybody else is like, please shut the fuck up. Quit fucking shut the fuck up. Star Wars fans shouldn't be allowed to be alive. I like Star Wars as a kid. So someone should shoot me. I'm part of this now. We're all bad people. All of us. We all suck. Uh, we're doing a movie podcast right now, but we're not. Yeah, we're not immune from this. We're shitty people in different ways. But I never expected that the toxic fandom would play into a slasher allegory so well. Because about oh, yeah. the fans, <laughs> yeah, it's like oh, because their way of actually making their own thing to wrestle it back from control of these other people who make it too woke or take it in different directions or where they just want it to stay in amber and be the exact same, the, the thing they want because of this very specific experience they had many years ago. I and mean, it's kind of called out. So they literally just start killing people. They're making they, they, to recreate it in real life. So that way there's a new story that the new one can be based on. That is just screen. That is just stab again. Like that's right. We yeah, want it the way it was. We want it to be pure. And we love it so much, we're actually going to kill the people involved in this because they don't know it as well as us, right? <laughs> the idea that they have to be like, it's an honor before killing Dewey. Because to them, it's like, this is the greatest man in the world. I have to murder him because I can control this franchise better than him. You know, it's the audacity of like, if I walked up to fucking Kevin Williamson and beat him to death with a toilet bowl because it's like, he doesn't understand. I, I, the fucking Vampire Diaries, that's me. I know them. <laughs> Why a toilet? I don't know. I was reaching for a, a, a weapon in mind. That was the first one I came to. Uh, but it's that idea. And I love it too, the added irony that fans have embraced this movie so much that it's made like $80 million after not even two weeks or something. You know, it's one of the most successful screams. And it's a movie that's basically saying like, hey, the old time fans that cling to the series fucking suck. <laughs> it's, it's a specific... A specific kind of fan, though, but that's true. What's, yeah, but, but the fact that you don't is, see a lot of complaints online from people being like, "I don't know, it's kind of dumb they made fun of fanboys," you know, like because no one thinks on the right side. The, yeah, every no, like no toxic Star Wars fan knows the difference between them and a normal fan. <laughs> they they don't see it. As long as we're on this, I, I just want to mention too the thing I love: the original Scream. It's the first of the franchise, so they don't have Scream as a reference point. The whole first Scream is essentially directed at Halloween and the movies that followed immediately after Halloween. We even have it to the point where Dewey walks through Stu's house as Halloween is playing, making him kind of feel like he's interacting with the film itself. But by the time we get to Scream 2, they introduce the idea of Stab. And now the original movie is being remade within the movie 
And so now all of the Scream movies are retroactively referencing themselves. So Scream 2 is talking about Scream 1, Scream 3 is talking about 2 and 1. Scream 4 is talking about Scream 1 again. Scream 5 goes into that idea that no, this whole franchise is no longer talking about horror trends in general. It's not like the rules for horror. It's talking about the rules for Scream, the rules for meta. It's it's taking the idea of a metatextual reference about an entire genre and narrowing it down even further, refining it to this is a metatextual reference to the previous text, like the existing text that makes up the current sentences that we're reading, which is kind of brilliant considering this is a reboot sequel. Yeah. So this idea, the words are still going onto the page and we're retroactively trying to adjust how the story ends based on where we started and knowing how it started. It's that awareness that's become so hypercritical that it's laser focused on only itself, which is self-destructive. And you get that in the villains. The villains are driving the plot because it's stupid to only look at one fucking movie if you're basing your entire opinion of horror off of one thing. It's it's really neat. I, w- I need to see this movie about 18 more times and start taking notes and making diagrams with straws like I'm in Looper because I think there's so much to be said about the way this film is interrogating the idea of rebooting and sequelizing a film at the same time and only living within that one small sphere of influence. Yeah. I think it's really brilliant and there's a lot going on besides characters just getting stabbed. There's a lot of layers, a lot, a lot of breakdown of, the meaning of nostalgia too. And I think it even works uh, better when you pair it with Scream 4, which was another I would say a first stab kind of story, but at the idea. Yeah. Uh, but Stab 4. Oh, sorry. I'm not saying Stab 4. Scream 4, uh, <laughs> I would say, is almost more cynical about the idea. It goes, Very, yeah. Fucking Sid walks out at the end and says, don't fuck with the original, and then kills her replacement killer, her essential reboot token. In this movie, it ends. With Sid's reboot token walking out and going, it means so much to me that you were here. Like, it ends on a total note of respect. I would say the respect is too far where it gets obnoxious. I was like, if I can cut this shit out. But it, it, it ends from a place of respect as in saying, okay, if you can't destroy the original, you better fucking work with the original or else the fans are never going to accept it. And lo and behold, they did. And the fans loved it. Craven made a movie where... He basically said, no, there's no working with this. I don't want a reboot because it's going to fucking sully what I did first. It won't be as good. And the fans rejected it. I'm not saying Craven was wrong. I'm just saying it's really, boy, you, you got to either get on terms with the first film or you just got to walk away because that's the only way fans are going to go say, yes, I want more of this. Saying all that, before we, before we wind down, uh, I don't like the hero characters openly using the word, the term elevated horror. No, I don't understand. Radio Silence knows they're on Twitter. They're 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 on social media. They they know the fan base. They know that elevated horror isn't an actual horror fan term or notion, and is bullshit. So I don't really understand why that was being bandied about. And and yeah, it's the fact that it's the hero characters talking about elevated horror. Well, specifically Tara. I don't think. Sam gives a shit, but it's, it's Tara. And at the end, she's still like, you know, I prefer the Babadook or whatever. It's, it's that idea that <laughs> they're embracing the term elevated horror, which is a, ah, maybe I'm a toxic fan, but I think elevated horror is just a way of people saying, I don't want to talk about horror as horror. I want to say mine has prestige behind it. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's, it's a total invented by film critics who don't really want to admit they like horror movies. I saw someone called the new it elevated horror, and that term has no meaning if the new it is fucking elevated horror. No offense, I enjoy the new it. 
I love it, but what what is elevated horror about? Honestly, Stephen King in general. What is elevated about The Witch? It's it's a fucking folk horror movie. It's very good. It's great. I don't know why yeah. It's elevated. I don't know. What is why elevated is the... about any specific horror movie? They're all just horror movies. Do I do I have to take that label back? Like if I talk about Repulsion, is that like oh that was one of the early elevated horror films that uh, this is all like the, the other bullshit horror where there's films like. I don't know if you know this, with fantasy, there's, like, low fantasy and high fantasy. Yeah, like, low fantasy be your pulp, like your Conan the Barbarian type. Yeah, stories. it's like, no, it's all fucking with dragons and shit. Shut the fuck <laughs> up. Game of Thrones ain't better than Conan. And, God, that takes, and it just, that just means you aren't very good at reading what is behind a, the meaning of a film. Like, a schlocky, B-grade horror movie can have just as much to say about a prestige like Ari Aster movie or something like that. It's, and guess what? The people off. making the prestige ones have the same opinion as what I just said. The, yeah, you can't tell me Ari Aster didn't watch like fucking Nightmare on Elm Street go, pretty good? It, it throws me off. Especially considering they set up in the movie that uh, Tara is proud that she's a horror fan because Ghostface kind of eggs around like, oh, your mom mentioned you were a big horror fan and she, you know, you guys bonded over that. She's like, yeah, she, she's happy about that. That's like, oh, cool. I'm with me and my mom. Yeah, I, I, that's it. That's kind of my identity. And then she goes into elevated horror and is like, oh, what is this? What kind of horror fan is like, oh, I only appreciate movies made in like the last three years. I don't care about anything before that. But it's, and it's all specific where like that stuff comes from Amber. It's, it's, that, that, that stuff is just very confused in the, in the film. It's the one thing I didn't really, I didn't really care for only because I just don't like, I don't like 50 minutes in. You bring up a point where it's like, I need to unpack this for several hours. I know we're going to do a, what have you done? I I think that's guaranteed. Once we get Jamie to, to watch scream five with us. Yeah. Can we, can we put her in a room and force her to watch it with us for the first time? I want to hear her reaction. Oh, that would be great. Happens. Where she has to verbalize, like, everything she's experiencing. We're dead silence. We're all in the same room, and she just has to watch Scream 5 like we're not there. Like, I just yeah, want a we webcam in her house. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I want. I just want to experience the movie through other people. We're not even facing the screen or anything. We have two chairs next to the TV. <laughs> and we're just staring at her the entire time. <laughs> the way all movies should be enjoyed. That's how they should do focus groups. What did you think of the movie? I was a little creeped out by the men in black hoods who stared at me <laughs> for an hour and a half. They seemed to get really into it. Anytime I smiled, it made me stop smiling. <laughs> and then they frowned. The noise was like, woo, woo. Just, just so excited. And then they folks. kept scribbling <laughs> notes down <laughs> mysteriously. This is, the folks at home, this is why Mike and I aren't scientists or accredited in any fashion at all. It's, it's a miracle we're employed, honestly. Oh, yeah. It, 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 and this is also why we're not allowed lab animals anymore. <laughs> anymore. Those mice are tasty, Mike. Tasty, tasty mice. You gotta make stew out of something. Who doesn't love stew? So I brought it back around with... Nice. I, yeah, I see, I see what you're doing. Folks, we could keep talking about any of the screams for literally days. Come at me. Dare me. I don't know if people at home can tell, but I'm making direct eye contact and I haven't blinked. Oh, they can feel it. But I think that's going to do it for our Scream 5 initial gut reactions. I really enjoyed it. I have my nitpicks because I always do. I think it's safe to say, Mike, you really enjoyed it. Yes. This uh, review is coming out something like two, two and a half weeks after the movie released. So maybe more than that. I don't, I don't understand time anymore. It's, it's all been confusing since 2019. Anyways, you still have time to go see it in theaters. 
I'd highly recommend it. Go check it out. It's fun on the big screen to get an audience with you reacting to it. If you can do it safely, if you can find like a Vax only show, obviously, if you can yeah. go somewhere where everyone's masking up properly, highly encouraged because we're not going to get this one, unfortunately, on streaming until you know closer to the actual physical release date. But boy, it's worth checking out. Absolutely up there with the other Scream movies. Radio Silence has done a wonderful job making something that feels akin to the other Wes Craven entries without insulting or uh, usurping what's come before. Highly recommended. Love it. Box Office Pulp recommends Scream. All of them. Yeah, all of them. Even that All one. of them. All of them. Even that one. Folks, if you've enjoyed this podcast, I hesitate to call it a mini-bop because it's going for... Almost an hour now, because I cannot shut up. You can find more of Box Office Pulp at boxofficepulp.com or at Box Office Pulp on Twitter. We're on Facebook, Stitcher, uh, iTunes, Google Music. Yes, Google Podcasts and Amazon Music. Ah, nailed it. Fucking yes. I was going to say Google Play, but that's not right at all. I, I got it in the end. Anyways, you can find us all around. We also have commentary tracks for some of the movies we love. We have individual episodes where... All three of the hosts of the show typically get together. We have mini bops like this, where maybe you only have two people talking about a movie. Come check us out. We're occasionally fun. Anyways, we would love it if you listened to us and left a review. That's going to do it for tonight. Hope you had fun. Get the hell out of here. That's a wrap. And like that, he's gone. People are going to be so mad when they find out that there is a scene at the very end credits of Scream 5 that reveals Roman in another ghost face mask no! watching the entire fucking movie. It's him on his couch wearing the mask watching the movie during Scream 3. And people are like, I don't know how to place any of this. What does it mean? Oh, this is what he was making. <laughs> this is my design. Kirby lives. I can't believe we didn't get to that. Because the entire episode would have been about Kirby at that point. Yeah, that's fair. This is Box Office Pulp Guy, and this has been a Pulp Podcast production. Now please, 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 put a gun in my mouth and pull the trigger and say goodnight. And now, on with the show.